This is your girl Shakina and I'm with my girl Shar and we are the Black Woman Reborn. This is a podcast where we have raw, honest, captivating, and informative conversations about issues that affect Black women in their personal and professional lives. Welcome to the tribe. Welcome back, Tribe, to another episode of the Black Woman Reborn podcast. This episode, we have welcomed Sky Charlie to join us in this Tribe meeting to talk very candidly about a topic that plagues our community, and that is colorism. We have entitled this episode, A Candid Conversation Around Colorism, because we're doing just that. And these are the type of conversations that we know we need to continue to have in our community, especially amongst Black women, where an issue such as colorism really affects us the most. So welcome to our tribe, Scott Charlie. I know you're already part of the tribe. You're a listener and you support us, but welcome to the space welcome. where we can finally hear your voice and talk on a special topic that we know that you know firsthand about. Sky, what's up, girl? Hey guys, thank you so much for having me here. It is a pleasure. And yeah, I mean, I'm in the industry of the, you know, in fashion, beauty, so I've seen it all and I'm, you know, excited to kind of talk about my experience. Awesome. So you say you're in fashion and beauty. So tell the tribe a little bit more about what you do. So basically, well, one, I'm the founder of the Business of Black Hair, which is an online platform that helps Black women grow healthy hair. I'm a big candidate for that. But before I kind of got into the hair industry, I'm a former casting agent for commercial movies, music videos within the entertainment industry. So uh, working with not only A-list celebrities, but kind of down that list as well. And I am the person that cast a lot of the people that you, a lot of the models, background extras, singers, performers, whatever you see in a lot of these shows or music videos, I've played a major role in that. So that's kind of a little bit about my background. Right. So we know just based on what you said that you've probably seen it all in rooms and spaces when it comes to colorism. So before we kick off with this candid conversation, I do want to provide the tribe with the definition as we normally do. Let's get rooted on the same page here. So when it comes to colorism, the dictionary definition is prejudice or discrimination against individuals with a dark skin tone, typically among people of the same ethnic group. And then it goes on to say, colorism is a practice of discrimination by which those with lighter skin are treated more favorably than those with darker skin. And a lot of times people feel like, you know, what's the difference between colorism and racism? And colorism is indeed a product of racism, especially in the United States, in that it upholds the white standards of beauty, right? So lighter skin is more favorable. You're more accepted the lighter you are. And that is directly linked to something that is a part of racism and the structures of the society, which is whiteness. So, you know, keep in mind that colorism is definitely different, but it is definitely strongly linked to the effects of racism in this country. And I want to give a shout out to Pulitzer Prize winner Alice Walker, who is deemed or believed to have actually coined the word colorism back in 1982. So big shout out to Alice Walker for just bringing this to the forefront her definition of what colorism is, is actually what Char just read to you all tribe. She came up with that and they have just moved this forward. And now we're into a movement of recognizing where we are as a community and this 
and our skin color and how racism is showing up in our own community just in different words now and actions by us. And as far as some historical context, like there's a deep rooted history when it comes to colorism. Even during slavery, slaves with lighter skin tones were assigned domestic tasks, while slaves with darker skin tones were forced to work outside in fields. So I remember growing up and I would hear, you know, older generations of folks like joke about this, right? Whether we agree with it or whether not. But it took me to get older to realize what they were talking about, right? It was colorism. And, you know, the lighter people in our family, they would joke and would call them, oh, you're a house person. And the darker people in the family, oh, yeah, you know, back in the day, you would be in a field, right? And laugh about it. Like things, when you come cognizant of what it really means is that, you know, technically it's really not that funny. But there's also something called the paper bag test. And this was happening in the 19th and 20th century. And I think it still happens without the actual use of a paper bag. But this is when people would use a paper bag, literally, at some point. And if you were darker than that paper bag, and Tribe, I want you to picture what a paper bag looked like. If you were darker than that, then you wasn't accepted into an organization or um, in certain environments. If you were lighter or the complexion of that paper bag, then you were indeed accepted. So those are just two examples of how colorism showed up in our history. And it even goes back to like kids' nursery rhymes or sayings that kids used to say. One that I kept seeing a lot and doing some research on colorism is if you black, stay back. If you're brown, stick around. If you're yellow, you're mellow. If you're white, you are right. Like these are like little kids that are being taught this at a young age. So just like we say that racism is learned, colorism is also learned within our communities as well. And Sky, you know, I know that you, you know, you have experiences in the Black community. And by Black community, I mean Black American. But you are also multicultural. And can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so various different types of backgrounds in a sense where I am African, African descent. I was born in Kenya, but I pretty much was raised in the United States. So I still have a different form of colorism within my ethnic group and within my background that differs from, you know, it's like I'm battling, you know, in Kenyan, the lighter you are, the better you're more received. So, you know, a lot of people in our culture definitely are into bleaching. We don't talk about it much, but we know every family member has a bleaching cream pretty much in their household. And, you know, that's even with my mother herself, like she bleaches, but it's like nothing we even talk about because it's just so normal. So that kind of gives you a background within that context and still battling with the ones that within the African-American community and having to deal with that my whole life as well, being a dark-skinned woman. And just enjoying how much is being celebrated these days versus when we were growing up, that wasn't a thing. And for the tribe members who do not know what bleaching is, Sky, could you explain that? So pretty much it's very common within a lot of African cultures or even Caribbeans, Jamaicans, whatnot. You know, they use these uh, bleaching creams where you can pretty much find it in any African or Asian market. I mean, you walk in and it's in full display because it's one of their biggest sellers. And it's just something that they, you know, a lot of 
you just put on like lotion and it just kind of lightens your skin. Some people go very drastic with it where you can see a huge difference. And then others, you know, they just kind of do a little bit just to kind of give a lighter complexion because it's just this thing that they say when you're lighter, you just look more cleaner, you look healthier, you look happier. But when you're too dark, it's almost like you're depressed. You're going, it's like these bad connotations that's connected with being darker. So even like my mom would joke around sometime, you know, when I'm stressed out and she was like, man, you're getting dark. Like your skin is looking darker. You must be going through things. But when I'm happy, she's like, wow, look at how much lighter you look, you know, and it's just so weird to me. But, you know, you get used to it. And just to add to that about the bleaching creams, there was a study that was done because there are toxins and poisons in bleaching creams that have actually poisoned women sent them to the hospital. Like we have to be very cognizant of what we put on our skin because that gets into our bloodstream and not even just with bleaching creams, but a lot of the things that we use on a daily basis to even include food. Reading those labels and knowing what we're putting on our bodies and in our bodies is very imperative. So if you are using bleaching creams out there, ladies, whether you're dark skin, light skin, African-American, from whatever nationality or ethnic background, read your labels. Let's steer away from that stuff because Black is beautiful in all shades and colors. But I think that speaks to like how deep-rooted this is because when you read those labels and, you know, in preparation for this tribe meeting, I did kind of look up bleach and cream because I know it is very huge in Afro and Caribbean communities and, you know, it's AKA cake soap and it's like almost like Sky said, it's it's become the norm, but also like heavily promoted to the point where it's in songs and people are singing about it and it's not shunned on. But, you know, as you said, like you have these toxins and there's even research on how there's long-term effects to your nerves and your face when you use this cake soap and this bleach cream. But it speaks to how deep-rooted this is. You know the potential effects that it can cause on your body and your skin, but people are so desperate just to have that ideal lighter skin that they are willing to do whatever it takes. And no matter, I mean, I've seen the extreme versions of bleaching. It looks extremely crazy. Like, do you see yourself, sir, ma'am? But, you know, as long as they're lighter, it feels more right. And I think that's interesting. You know, for me, as we kind of talk about our personal experiences and reflect, you know, growing up, I don't remember ever feeling as a child like, oh, no, I'm dark skin and I feel bad about it. I was always more focused on like certain features. Like I always thought I had a big nose. And of course, everybody knew I have big lips and I was more worried about that. Now, when I got to high school and I moved from D.C. to Virginia Beach and there were a lot more white people than black people. And, you know, growing up in D.C., I was in D.C. where it was Chocolate City. So that's all I saw. But then when I was in Virginia Beach, I saw a plethora of other type of cultures that I wasn't used to being around. That's when I started to be more aware of my skin tone. And, you know, I started to have more friends who were white, who were Filipino. Oftentimes, I was the darkest person in the group. And I became very aware of that. And I think, you know, it's funny how that happens, too. Like, you're, you don't become insecure and hyper aware of something in certain environments. But when you're put in other environments, you are. And I remember one time specifically, I was at a sleepover. I was the only Black girl. They're not even only the darkest person, but the only Black girl there. And all of the girls were like washing their hair with this new shampoo. And here I am, this dark girl with like the hair that should not be washed on the whim. <laughs> and I washed it. Oh my God, let me tell you something. 
eyes, y'all know what that hair looked like when after I, you know, after I was done. When my stepmom and my dad was furious. I don't know what compelled me to think that I was going to wash my hair and it was going to be silky fresh. That thing curled up and them BDBs rolled on the back of my neck. But, you know, I just, <laughs> I want to say that, you know, I don't know if you two shared that same experience of, you know, being in certain environments where it doesn't matter and you're not aware of it, but then you're placed in other environments and it's like you become super self-conscious about it. So for me, I grew up going to a private Baptist, majority predominantly white school where there was only five of us Black kids that went to this school. So from a very early age, I saw the difference. Although I am um, fair-skinned, there still is a clear distinction between white and light-skinned. I don't care what anybody says. Um, So for me, that's something that I grew up around and saw it, you know, starting from kindergarten. What about you, Scott? Well, for me, I feel like I've always, I don't know why, like, I feel like my whole childhood has always been surrounded by my complexion, whether it's, even though I grew up in a predominantly Black community or whatnot, but I think a part of it was one, because I was African, so that always just made me stand out, you know, from everyone. Everyone knew she looks different, her facial features. I have very, you know, defined facial features, so you can tell I'm not from here, I'm foreign. So that's always been the first thing. And then the second thing has always been, and you're dark skinned. If you're foreign and you're lighter, then you're exotic. But if you're foreign and you're darker, then you're just, (laughs) you know, you better be an exceptionally good looking dark skinned girl or nobody cares. And that's how I've always felt. So at some point when I was younger, I used to get excited when a guy would tell me, oh, you're very pretty for a dark skinned girl because I knew how other dark skinned women were being cheated around me. So it almost made me feel like, oh, I was something extra special. And as I got older, I'm like, wait, that's just, you know, that just didn't sit well with me anymore. I started getting offended because of it. And that's because I started really recognizing some of the psychological effects that my childhood played around my complexion, my color, and my hair, and started to really combating that as I got older. So that's kind of, you know, my experience growing up. I think it's interesting that you pointed out how, you know, in the African diaspora, like if you are foreign and dark skin, what you're labeled as versus if you're foreign and lighter skin, right? And that the exact word is exotic and, you know, something, again, that whole favorable thing, you're more favorable if you're foreign and a lighter skin then you are darker skin. But when you talk about like your own journey to self-love of your darker skin, what helped you with that? You mentioned how you always known your mom to bleach. So I'm sure, you know, you saw her growing up doing this and it was something that you was used to, but what helped you in your own process of understanding that your darker skin is beautiful and accept that? Definitely for me, I'll say it's just how the media has evolved around the meaning of being dark and being a Black woman. I think we've been a generation that we've pushed that agenda, that message so heavy and seeing those things, you know, more often. I think that's what's really, really helped me in, you know, gaining more pride within myself and, you know, having women like PETA or those, you know, various women that look like me just kind of being like people embracing, you know, these women. I remember, it's so funny because I remember when Lupita just came out and I had cut my hair and I was so skinny back then. 
And everywhere I went, people were like, wow, you're so beautiful. Because for once, a Black woman was a symbol of, and I'm not saying for once, it's, you know, it's happened multiple times. And for once within my, my life as a young woman, a Black woman was just like this big image of a beauty standard. And I think those are the things that really helped me build that confidence because growing up, I don't remember seeing much of that. That wasn't the message around me. Shout out to the millennials for being a catalyst of change within our community, like not taking anything away from um, previous generations. But I think that we have just touched as millennials again on a multitude of different layers within our generation, within our society. So again, um, as a millennial, I am excited for this generation of people and our generations to come on how the legacy that we will leave behind for them. I really do like hate that. I feel like as millennials, we do try to take a lot of credit for a lot of stuff, but we have been game changers. And I do feel you, Sky and Shakina, that we have been game changers in this space because I mean, I remember my aunts and uncles, you know, don't stay out too long because you may get dark or, you know, you're going to get dark. Like that fear of being out in the sun during the summertime. And I, I've never said that to my children. I have two girls. Like I've never said those words. And, you know, I look at my oldest daughter because both of my daughters are different complexions. And, you know, one is lighter who came out very light when she was born, super light. And then one is darker. And so they both embrace their different shades. And, you know, it's never been no comparison or, you know, my daughter, my older daughter, who's darker, she loves her skin. Like she has this unwavering self-love for her hair, her skin. And I just look in her in admiration. And, you know, I think it's because she didn't have to grow up hearing like, don't get darker or, you know, oh, you look so dark or whatever. Like she just embraces who she is. Now, what I have seen is there has been people literally in my family who, You know, this dynamic, when you grow up, you know, in Black households, you know, I don't care if you're African, Caribbean, you have the whole spectrum of colors in your family. You have lighter people, you have darker people. And, you know, that's a deeper conversation for another day as to why that is. And in my family specifically, I see with my own eyes, the lighter people in the family being called beautiful. Oh, she's so pretty. And then the darker skinned people in my family, you know, she's smart, (laughs) you know, and it's just funny how that is. And like, there are even some lighter skinned people in my family who have this air about them as if they are better than the darker skinned people in my family. So it's like, it's funny how even in your own family, you see this plays out. And, you know, for me as a millennial growing up and now raising children, it's like something I'm always determined to never, ever allow my children to think that about themselves. And, you know, especially bringing up children of two different complexions, which is interesting in itself. Like I said, my youngest daughter, she was born very, very light. So I remember when she she was a baby, people literally asked me as if, she wasn't my baby because I am a dark-skinned woman. And here she was, this lighter-skinned baby with curly hair. And it was like, people's like, oh, well, is that your child? Like, And even people who are raising mixed kids who have to deal with that darker-skinned woman with lighter babies. And of course, this is my baby. <laughs> you know, like, yes, it is. So, you know, those are all interesting dynamics that we face in our community. There's a book that I saw bringing up because you had talked about saying, hey, don't play in the sun, coming from our families and stuff like that. I've heard of that. But there's actually a book 
called Don't Play in the Sun by Martha Golden. And she talks about, you know, her journey through life being, you know, going through with that color complex that was instilled in her by her family. So Tribe, if you get a chance and you want to read about it, um, again, the book is Don't Play in the Sun by Martha Goldman. So outside of our families and personal spaces, I know that this is something that we face at work and in our businesses and professionally. So Sky, I know that, you know, in the work that you do, this is something that you probably see clearly. And, you know, I would love for you to share with the tribe some of your experiences in seeing that show up in the spaces in which you occupy. It's so common that it's, you know, it's almost disgusting, to be quite honest. Um, and it just kind of shows you that we still have a long way to go, I think. And it's unfortunate that I play a role in it as, you know, being in casting, because at the end of the day, you're trying to satisfy your client's request. And I find that I mostly end up booking for gigs, and this is pertaining to women, mostly lighter women or white women. And if they are Black, they're mostly looking for Black women that look exotic, you know, curly, looser textured hair, lighter skin. And then, of course, they always say, oh, yeah, but make sure you throw on, you know, like a darker woman or two, just to kind of justify that we have, quote unquote, diversity now. So if you look at it from a mathematical perspective, you're looking at maybe, what, 2% of the women that are getting casted for these gigs are darker women of color. And the roles that I do end up casting for where more darker women end up being present are the more sexual video vixen type of roles, you know, because now, you know, everybody loves the dark skin, big booty girl, you know, whatever. Like now, now she's the thing. It still kind of shows a lot of the stigma that's within the industry in itself. And I haven't really put my hands on it. Is it, you know, the artist? Is it the management? Is it the record labels or the, you know, directors? I don't know. Like who at the end of the day makes that decision to say these are the type of things that we're, we're looking for? Because at the end of the day, it's still all, it's still, you know, it's still a command of chain. And then I'm the person that I, <laughs> that plays a role in making sure I have to find these, you know, these, these types of women. And it's, you know, and it's weird when you think about it, because if you read statistics, they'll tell you, you know, the industry is becoming more diverse. You know, there's like for Fashion Week, I think in 2019, it was something about 30 to 35% of the models casted were Black women. But then when you look at that 30 something percent and you look at those Black women, sometimes you're asking yourself, which one of these models is Black? Because sometimes you can't even tell. <laughs> Yeah, and then yeah. the ones that are dark skinned, they look a certain way. You know, they're very dark. They've probably got a short haircut. Like, it's just very standard. In the industry, we call that tokism. T-O-K-E-I-S-M. Pretty much like that token Black girl. You know, if you guys want to look into that a little bit more. But yeah, that's kind of my experience um, playing, you know, in the role that I play. And basically, we still have a long way to go. Right. And I mean, the effects of that is that we don't see the behind the scenes of what you do. But what we see and what our children sees is certain people, lighter skinned women playing the beautiful roles, the mom who's classy or stuff like that. And then you see the black woman who is, like you said, the sexual object or even historically, the black dark skinned woman was the what they would call mammies. You know, like, you know, they would pick the dark-skinned woman who was big or like even think of Precious, like Precious was a dark-skinned, heavy-set girl. And that's what people would 
kind of stigmatize, you know, a darker skinned woman looking versus a lighter skinned woman who's like the prima donna, the the beautiful woman who's sought after. So, you know, those are images that we see that flash across our screens, even on social media and movies and TV. And you may not think much of it, but this is what is being ingrained in us. So like, even when you said you still haven't figured out whether it's like the record label or the artist, like, you know, hearing certain lyrics, even lyrics that I bumped to, like Lil Wayne. I've, you know, I loved Lil Wayne College, man. Lil Wayne was like all I listened to all day, every day while I was studying. And, you know, a lot of his lyrics talk about preferring light skin, red bone. <laughs> that's what I like. Like, he's very vocal about that. And I've always just been like, well, that's his preference. I don't care. I don't want him. But the bigger picture is that, you know, there are young people who listen to him and men who eventually you listen to it long enough, it's going to be in your spirit. That's how it works. Exactly. And, you know, knowing that one of the things that I try to do is I do, (laughs) I'm not going to lie, I do try to push as many Black women as I can through these casting to these directors and really making sure that I have a good, okay, is it enough dark skin? Is it enough Black women that look like this? To be honest, Black women come in so many different shades and sizes. And it's just the the thing that we need to do is stop trying to pick a certain type of preference. Speaking of preference, you know what really pissed me off was that Jay-Z and Nas video because how are you two of the most influential Black men alive right now and you did not put now one woman of color Girl, in yes. Oh and if you God. did, which one is she? that was actually disappointing as somebody who like you I have a high respect for these two men highly influential dark skinned men and isn't it funny how that happens these dark skinned men I don't know if it's self hate or what and like this is just one of many conversations we're going to open up about colorism and you know but self hate is part of it and I don't even want to open up that can of worms (laughs) But these dark-skinned men, they are the ones who go after the lighter skin, right? And you see, like, even remember that whole, was it Gilbert Arenas who came for Lupita? <laughs> I don't remember. Her, it was one of these basketball players, darker skin, who came for Lupita, who basically said that she would only be attractive in the dark <laughs> because of her darker skin. <laughs> So, like, these are things that's being said, and he said it flat out, but these are things that's really been saying in our song lyrics that people are singing over and over again as well. And I think we just have to remember again that racism is the foundation of it all. And while we're going through this um, evolution in our community, evolution and revolution, I would say, we have to make sure that we also remember that From the foundation of racism, there's also misogyny and then also the sexual exploitation of Black women in itself. So when we talk about, you know, the the videos, the big butts, all this stuff are all things that we have to move and be very cognizant of as Black women and that we treat our fellow sisters and tribe members with respect, no matter what color they are, no matter what shape they are. So even body shaming, all of that, we just need to be more of a sisterhood and move through. And while we're in this midst of holding white people responsible, holding our Black brothers and sisters responsible for how we treat our own as well. So I just want to make an observation too. So this is a conversation that I feel like Sky and I have dominated. 
And I want to point out that observation because I think there's this question that people have, whether lighter skin, um, for those of you who still don't know what we look like, I am a darker skinned woman. Shakina is a lighter skinned woman. Whether lighter skinned people in our community have a space to engage in this conversation, right? And a lot of people feel like if you're a lighter skin, you do not feel the effects of colorism. I just want to point that out and I want to ask both of you, Skye, who is also a darker skinned woman and Shakina, who's lighter, what do you feel about that? Like, how do you feel about people saying that? Do you personally also feel like lighter skinned women or people in general don't have a space to talk about this issue because they don't feel the effects? It's interesting because I'll say that there's definitely a different, you know, of course, if you're lighter, you're still going through your own levels of racism, whatnot, which like Shakina said, is the foundation of it all. So it's not like you're immune to all of that. But I mean, let's be honest. I honestly do feel as if lighter skinned people do get a different treatment. Of course, I don't know what it feels like to be a lighter woman. So it's almost my biased opinion just because of how I've been treated my whole life. So I definitely would love to hear what Shakina has to say. But I think it is a conversation that does need to happen more often, especially in a safe space where we can have these discussions and, and try to get an idea of what it feels like to be in both spaces. So I think I'm going to revert back to the saying, there's a time and a place for everything and recognizing the space that you're in. So if there's a conversation that's being had, say, like between Shara and Sky, I'm going to be more of the listener to see where my sisters are coming from, you know, how I can help, how I can be an ally in certain spaces. And then there's also this other side of it where there may be a point in time where I am one of the darker women in the room. And that's my space to step up and say, well, hey, this is how I feel. This is what has happened to me. Like I mentioned earlier, speaking of coming from a private school, that was predominantly white. Of course, I experienced that. Being younger as well, riding BMX bikes, which is a predominantly dominated field where my dad is dark-skinned, my mom is light-skinned, but my brother and I are light-skinned. And I even remember one time, one of my mom's cousins said, man, them ain't your kids, them the milkman kids. Man, when I tell you my daddy was... Yo, I am dying. (laughs) So I think that even as light-skinned as I am, we've all experienced our own um, experiences. But then even being light-skinned and seeing my dad go through certain things, walking with us, like you had mentioned earlier, Shara, I remember I'll tell this story real quick that affected... I went to Payless one time and I was accused of stealing shoes out of Payless from a black girl, but she was lighter than me. So then they locked me in the store. She snatched my um the shoe out my hand because I took it off to show her, like, these are the same shoes that I walked in here with, ladies. So when I left, I went home. I was like just so devastated. So my dad was like, going back up there to that store, you know. Um, so as soon as we walked in, my dad was like, I want to talk to the manager. Where's the manager? And so she came over because 
after everything had transpired, the manager had came back to the store and she was like, you know, she didn't still we don't even own have those shoes in the store anymore. And my dad was like, I'm her father. And the lady looked at her, looked at my dad and was like, you're her dad? So like, even like, so although I'm light skinned, even in those situations are very uncomfortable. And still, I just feel like, again, I reiterate, there's a time and place for everything. So we all have to know when to step up and when to step back and when it's our time. And to be able to speak from both sides of the spectrum, if I am the minority in the room or the darker skin in the room, that I can listen, that I've took, taken the time to listen to the conversations between my sister tribe, Shara and Scott, and also advocate for them in spaces where they're not present. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I, you know, me knowing you, like the back of my hand, I knew that was the case, but I just wanted to point that out because I know that's where you was going with it. And as we start to close this episode, I think we should just talk about just that. I think you brought up a good solution to this, which is, you know, knowing that this is a problem, an issue that plagues our community, especially Black women, where, you know, we feel pressure to uphold certain standards of beauty and even in our complexion with some of us. You know, for those of you who are fair skin, who are lighter skin, doing just what Shakina said. Like if if a darker skin friend of yours or family member and they're sharing their experiences and they're sharing how they feel about their skin color, their darker skin tone, that's the time for you to listen. That's not a time for you to deny that this happens in our community because I've been in conversations where that has happened. It's a time for you to listen and acknowledge it and also do what Shakina said, which is step back. In spaces where darker skinned women are talking about this issue, that's not a space for maybe that you need to weigh in and say it doesn't happen. And in spaces where you, as a fair skinned woman, maybe a darker woman, those are the spaces where you should step up and speak to this issue if the conversation arises. As for me, one of the things that I know that, you know, I've always tried to make a point to do is, like I said, when I'm very cognizant and how I display self-love to my two children who are Black girls who I know have to face a lot when it comes to their self-image, especially my daughter who is 16 years old now, who's just, you know, 16 is already a weird age, let alone being a dark-skinned woman with very natural hair. And that's one of the things that, you know, there's a lot of places in my life as a parent that I feel like I am screwing up. But when it comes to how I watch my oldest just love on herself, love her dark skin, love her natural hair and wear it proudly. And just, you know, the amount of self-love that she has herself, that's one place where I feel like pat on the back, you go girl, you you are doing this right. So I just want to encourage you moms out there who do have darker skin girls to know that even if they're not communicating it as an issue, it very well could be. And so just, you know, always be mindful of how you celebrate our dark girl's skin, their hair, their features, so that they in turn can celebrate it themselves. And Scott, do you have any closing words on the tribe for how we kind of like turn the tide and any solutions that you may have practiced or suggest to the tribe and how we overcome this issue? I think for me also just kind of speaking from an immigrant perspective and just colorism in a whole across the globe is a thing, not just within our community here within the United States and remembering You know, if you're a person of color that loves to travel, that loves to go different places, take the time to learn about your culture. Because what I found is no matter where I travel, colorism is a huge thing in history and within, you know, these different regions of the world and learning how 
people of darker skin or complexion are also treated in all of this. And I think it kind of helps paint this bigger picture and kind of leads us to creating better solutions within our community. Because when we kind of look at it from a global perspective, it all points to this, you know, to the same root, right? And we know what that root is and finding solutions to fix it moving forward. So that's kind of my take on it. And I just want to say thank you guys for having me. Thank you guys for allowing me to share about my experience in the industry. And I'm very proud of you both on what you're doing for, you know, Black women in the community. So shout out to this podcast. Shout out to this segment. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank Um, you so much, Sky. So happy to have you. I just want to drop a couple of little facts while we close out. So something that the tribe can be very cognizant of and why we have to stop colorism in our communities. I just want to say how it affects Black women. Dark-skinned women make about $5,000 less in our community than more fair-skinned women. It's said that light-skinned women are 15% more likely to get married. And then there was a study that was done in North Carolina that involved over 12,000 Black women where light-skinned women were receiving lower sentences than darker-skinned women. We cannot allow our brothers and sisters and definitely our sisters as this is the Black Woman Reborn podcast to be affected by racism and definitely not colorism in our community. Thank you for joining today's tribe meeting. This is not going to be the only conversation we have about colorism, trust, and belief, but we wanted to kick off this subject with just a candid conversation of three people sharing their personal stories. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please, 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 please consider everything that we have said and continue your own self-learning when it comes to colorism and ways that we can combat this in our community. Guy, can you tell the tribe where they can meet you at your social media? If you have an email, if you care to share, please let the tribe know how they can get in contact with you. Yes, of course. So you can visit my page, www.businessofblackcare.com. Like I said, I provide resources for Black women and educating them how to grow healthy hair, as well as connecting Black women to small owned businesses for you know all their beauty needs. So check me out there. And you can also follow me on my personal social media page. That's at T-H-E underscore Afropolitan, the underscore Afropolitan. And thank you guys. And I look forward to catching the episode live. Thank you, Tribe, for attending this Tribe meeting. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button on whatever platform you are joining in from today. We upload every first and third Friday of every month on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at The Black Woman Reborn. Until next time, see you at the next tribe meeting.